This is J.G. Hertz, the General Mar Talker on Deep Space Nine, and you're listening to Trek FM. Hello and welcome to Season 5, Episode 20 of Commentary, Trek Stars, a show which deals with the work of Star Trek creators outside of Star Trek. I'm Mike. I'm Max. And John is not here today. He is currently driving across country to um, break into Bad Robot and uh, steal a copy of Star Wars Episode 7, The Force Awakens. Um, this so, isn't going to be released until after he's done, right? I hope not, because, yeah, assuming that he's successful, maybe he'll share it with us and we'll get to see it early, too. Oh, you would love that. Yeah. And I would be indifferent. Oh, come on. You, you, you're looking forward to it just as much as everyone. I really don't care. Yeah, I know. It's weird. Yeah, it's exciting times for Star Wars. I, I, don't actually, know you... I actually think it's really pathetic. Yeah, I don't know. I we have to go back. We will do this because we're coming up on our five year anniversary, like next week. And I was listening back to our very first episode, and there were um, two, three. You said that there were three things in Star Wars that you cared about. Yep. Do you remember what they were? Um. Well, this is a PG show. So uh-huh. I can't bring up one of them. Well, you can you could kind of well, what what okay, so so what was the first thing? The first thing I don't know how I don't know what the order I had was, but there was after the original trilogy mm-hmm. um um sexual scenarios involving various characters from the original trilogy. Yeah. And the original trilogy. That was it. Yeah. Now we're getting after the original trilogy, dude. No, so. we're we're getting some pathetic thing. It's not the same thing as the original trilogy being continued. It's not. It's a different landscape entirely. And we shall see. We shall see. I don't know. No, but you don't need to see. It's a yeah. fact. Oh, I do need to see. But um yeah, I mean, hey, regardless of that, I mean, the just the idea that they just announced this last week, the idea that in the span of 5 months and 10 days, we will have two new Star Wars movies. That's I don't know what that means. They're there's they're releasing two Star Wars movies 5 months and 10 days apart. Can you imagine can you imagine your your little 10-year-old mind if someone told you that, I mean, what would you do? What would you do? What would you think? I mean, you, how could you process that information? And um, now it's happening. My 10-year-old mind would probably be pretty excited. Yes. My, uh, I'm not going to do math. My 30-something-year-old mind, um, I've seen too many of these things fall apart and... I'm not excited about a title anymore. I'm not excited about a franchise that's overseen by a corporation anymore. 
If I heard that somebody who I trusted was making something, I would be excited about that thing. I am no longer excited about the name Star Wars being put on something that is released into theaters because that is a meaningless connection to nothingness. Well, the people making Episode Seven seem pretty damn solid, but I'm Except sure that Except will... for all of the names we've heard. So Lauren, Lawrence Kasdan? Uh-huh, Lawrence Kasdan. Yes. Okay. Well, regardless of that, I'm sure that that's something that we'll talk about uh, oh, maybe around late December on this show. Because but, the next one is coming out in, at, like, December? December now? Yes. December okay. 18th, I believe. So Star Wars comes out in December now. That's fun. Well, the next two Star Wars are coming out in December, but then Episode 8 is coming out May 26th, 2017, which is a day after the 40th anniversary. So, yeah. So anyway. It was only a two-year gap? Year and a half. Year and five months and there's going to be a movie in between so that's weird it's going to be cool no we shall see no but but the reason why we're talking (laughs) about this the reason why we're talking about star wars here we're going to talk about uh the fifth film in the william shatner cinematic universe yes which is fanboys a movie about Star Trek fans. (laughs) Well, it is about Star Trek fans as well, but mainly it's about Star Wars fans. What's with those guys? (laughs) I don't know. They're the they're the they're the worst, aren't they? Suckers. I mean, they don't even care about good stories. This movie is uh, directed by Kyle Newman, who uh, very strangely is also the director of the new Taylor Swift music video. I don't know how that works. Oh, it's a very strict causal connection. Okay. But he he himself is is a huge Star Wars fan. Uh he's frequently a, a guest on uh Rebel Force Radio and uh uh the Force Cast or whatever it is and and he's um sort of known known for being a uh a, a prequel apologist um in some circles. God, what's wrong <laughs> with those people? I like the prequels. <laughs> You're terrible. Yeah. Uh, so this is a movie which came out in 2009, and the premise, even though it was in the works for a long time, I think they shot it in 2006, because I remember being at Star Wars Celebration 4 in 2007, where Kyle Newman and the cast were there to preview clips from the movie, and that was two years before the thing actually came out. Yeah, I remember so, seeing the trailer so long that I forgot that it was a movie. Yeah. And I came yeah. to believe that it was a parody trailer. Mm-hmm. Well, it turned out to be an actual movie. But the movie, it was, I think it was in development back before uh, episode one came out, if I'm not mistaken, or right around that time. I think it was a fairly autobiographical story uh, from the writer, I believe it was Ernie Klein. The film is about uh, a group of Star Wars fans uh, who who is the year is 1998 and 
Star Wars Episode One: The Phantom Menace is about to be released in, in like four months or whatever. Yep, they just months. went to see Meet Joe Black. They watched the trailer. They're like, oh man, let's, I can't wait to see this movie. Do you exactly. see that guy with the weird voice? He looks amazing. Right, it's right around that time. And uh, the issue, the drama, the conflict here comes in that one of them is dying of cancer. So he is probably not going to survive uh, to see the release of the new movie. And in an effort to sort of bond, uh, the friends decide to do something that they were talking about doing back in fifth grade, which is drive across country and break into Lucasfilm headquarters. Mm -hmm. And what the plan now is to break into Lucasfilm headquarters and steal a print of the movie in order to watch it. And it's one of those things where all of them are sort of aware that this is a ridiculous idea that would never work, but they decide that they need to do this more than anything as a way of, of bonding as friends. You know, it's like one last adventure for them. And uh, along the way, they get into various um, adventures of their own, you know, through um, uh, various conflicts and stuff like that with, with people who they meet. The technical term is hijinks. Hijinks is very much sort of a road trip movie. Yes, like the movie Road Trip. Yes, and and eventually they end up at Lucasfilm, and you know we won't ruin the movie oh, for anyone who hasn't. We're seen not going to ruin the movie. No, he doesn't because... see the movie. <laughs> they That's... settle for watching an early pre-visualization for Indiana Jones Four. That that's may or may not be accurate, but it's not accurate. So. <laughs> It may or may not be, but it isn't. <laughs> so, so at at one point, the reason the reason why this ties into to what we're discussing here as uh, a Star Trek podcast is because at one point they meet up in Texas with Harry Knowles, mm -hmm. uh, the f famed uh, um, owner and creator of Ain't a Cool News who yes. back then was at the height of his, his popularity. And they meet him and uh, are looking for info f from a contact about how to break into the, uh, the, the ranch, right? Skywalker Ranch. Yes. And he says, okay, I'll give you this info. You need to go meet this guy in Vegas. And, uh, you know, here he has, here's a code word and everything for you to use. And they're like, how will we know who he is? And he says, you'll know. So they say, okay. And they go to Vegas. And through a whole bunch of stuff with Seth Rogen and as the leader of a, a band of, of Star Trek fans who are out to get these guys and everything like that, the person who they're going to meet in Vegas is William Shatner. And William Shatner has all of the schematics and the technical readouts of that battle station known as Skywalker Ranch. And he gives it to them in order for them to sort of complete the final leg in their, in their journey. And to get that information, he had to kill a lot of Bothans. Yes, he did. He did. So 
let's take this back to, to, to the beginning, I guess, and just say, what do you think about fanboys? It's all right. I mean, it's not, it's not great cinema. It, it, it holds up as a movie, though, which I wasn't certain about before seeing it, considering that it sat on a shelf for 43 years. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to do the math. It's but it was a long years. time. It was a, it was a, it was a big chunk of time, and that's never a good sign. Uh, I heard that it went through a lot of changes, and then when I saw the movie, I was like, "Oh, maybe they went through some changes," and then we're like, "No, let's not do that." Well, yeah, for, from what I understand, you know, the way the way that that it went, because it is kind of interesting, especially for you know, the the sort of subject of this show, which is the creation of of movies and stuff. Um, this guy had written the script. It was, I guess, very personal and everything like that. And, uh, they brought on Kyle Newman, who is a, a first time director. I think it's the only movie that he's made, which has been released since then. Although he's got another one, which is coming out very soon called, uh, Barely Lethal, um, which I think is about teenage spies or something like that. Um, I wonder what that title's a play on. <laughs> and it from what I understand was seen as maybe not the most marketable thing in the world. And there were a lot of, um, changes which were made to it as sort of like a work in progress kind of thing. I remember at one point, uh, Scott Mosier, who is, um, Kevin Smith's producer, who has also edited, um, all of, uh, Smith's earlier movies with Smith. He was actually hired by, uh, the Weinstein company, to re-edit the film and um he yeah i went, know right <laughs> he he went he, he went in and i think actually shot a few new scenes i think that's where like kevin smith and, and jason muse actually uh, make a cameo in this along with the third guy in that scene is their uh documentarian who also played um was it no he played not Kinky Kelly, but the sexy stud in um, Clerks 2. Anyway. Because um, the other one's a horse. <laughs> a donkey, but yeah. Uh, that's neither here nor there. Oh, you're right, it's a donkey. I forgot about that. <laughs> they say it a million times in the movie, and I forgot that it was a donkey. I should Reg- never see that movie again. Regardless of any of that, uh, the, the point is that... Uh, it went through a lot of changes. At one point, they brought in this guy, Steve Brill, who is not very popular amongst movie fans. He's a director. He's the director of Little Nicky. Brillo pads are named after him because he is also coarse. <laughs> he, he He's directed a number of things which people dislike. And uh, he reshot a bunch of stuff. And uh, at one point, there was actually a big push by the Weinstein company who produced it to take out the cancer subplot, which a lot of people objected to because that was basically, you know, gutting the the heart of the movie, you know? Well, uh, I mean, on a very practical level, if you take out the motivation for doing it, then it really just seems like a bunch of douches trying to break into a building for completely selfish and stupid reasons. Right, exactly. And, you know, that's obviously not the movie that any of these people were trying to make. And there was actually a whole big campaign online and petitions, and they talked about, you know, boycotting Darth Weinstein and everything. I know. The crazy thing is that those always work. Well, this time it actually did. I know. 
even though because even they though it took do. <laughs> even though it took three years, um, it finally you know went to theaters in a version which I think the filmmakers would all consider to be the best version out there. There was talk of there being like you know the the compromised studio cut being released in theaters and then the director's cut being on video, but in the end. And I, when I was at Celebration 4 and the director was there, I asked him, I'm like, a bunch of people have come in and made a bunch of changes to your movie. You know, are you upset about that? Do you want to get rid of that stuff or whatever? And he's like, no, it's at a place now where I'm, you know, back on it or working on it or whatever. And there are elements which they have made, which I'm keeping in the movie because I like them. They're good. And, you know, it, it makes for the best movie. So even though there's stuff in there which was not part of the original version of the film, it is still, I think, the director-preferred version which is out there. Well, it does play like a movie that was built, like, independently by a bunch of people who had a crazy idea for a movie. And then when somebody thought it had a chance to make money, if they just threw a little bit more spectacle in there... They threw some more spectacle in there, and you can tell when that shows up. Yeah. But it is, it is a road movie, so the idea of like suddenly stopping the story and dealing with some spectacle for a few minutes, you sort of expect that to occur. Right, expect it that works. Spectacle. Yeah. It's a and, spectacle. And, and, <laughs> and, and the, uh, the, the cameos and stuff which are made are, are really kind of interesting and funny in that there's somewhere it's like, oh, obviously they they threw that in there because they they wanted to, to wanted people to see this this person like Shatner, of course. That's the one which is most integral to the the movie and which is referenced multiple times. But Harry Knowles makes sense. It's not even it's it's an actor playing Harry Knowles. It's Ethan Suplee, yeah, from uh, Mallrats and and stuff. Uh, because they couldn't the, get Harry Knowles to play himself from that time. I guess not. I don't know. I don't know why they did it. He doesn't but... leave his palace for anything <laughs> other than like a good Sarlacc sacrifice. I, I that's, that's quite possible. Um, Billy D. Williams shows up in there. Mm-hmm. Uh, Carrie Fisher shows up in there. She does. Um, and then you know, like we said, Kevin Smith and Jason Mewes, and and all of those were the sort of like, hey, look, kind of things. But there's a number of cameos as well which I think are more of a case of, like, these are friends of whoever happened to be making the movie at that particular time. And now you look at it and you're like, whoa, there's some serious star power for, like, people who are literally in it and have, like, one line and then leave. And it's not like they were, like, big, you know, cameos at the time. But now you look at it and you're like, that's a pretty big cameo. There's, um, well, basically a lot of the Apatow crowd. It's yeah. Seth Rogen, he plays two roles, and that's kind of an extended role that he has. And and we'll talk about him in, in a little bit because that's kind of integral to our discussion here on the Star Trek podcast. But other people, Will Forte shows up. Yeah. Danny McBride. Um, Craig Robinson. Uh, there's a few others where it's just like, wow. What what's he doing here all of a sudden? That's strange, but whatever. 
Um, well, Goldberg's from the comedy crowd, and the comedy crowd has a lot of overlap with the like sketch comedy and improv comedy crowd. And yeah. There's a whole bunch of overlap there with the office and, and the... And Jay Baruchel is in the movie, you know, and he's obviously friends with all those guys. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, yeah, the other people in the movie are, well, Kristen Bell, um, the guy who plays Jimmy Olsen in Superman Returns. He's sort uh, of like the lead. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, Along with the guy from uh, The Girl Next Door who's not Emil Hirsch or, uh, um, or, or what's his name? <laughs> I forget the dude's name. Because David what, Spade. You, no, you, you look at The Girl Next Door and there's like the three guys, the three friends. And yeah. one, of them, one of them is, went on to be Emil Hirsch, who's like a big star. He, the was, other one, he wasn't when he made the movie, but afterwards he became Emil Hirsch. Yes. And then the other guy is um, the guy who has gone on to be in a lot of critical movies and stuff like that, and that's Paul Dano. But then there's Chris Marquette, who, when you watch Girl Next Door, you think, this is the guy who's going to be the breakthrough guy. He's the funny guy. He's the comic relief sort of thing. And, I mean, not, I mean, it's a comedy, but he's the crazy guy. He's, he's the Randall of, of that movie. And... You know, he's the one who didn't really make it big, but he is in this movie, uh, along with, you know, well, everyone else uh, from uh, that that we mentioned. Uh, Dan Fogler Uh plays a big role. Sam Huntington is the guy from Superman Returns. And, uh, yeah, you know, a few other people here and there. Uh, But that's sort of like the core. But you all saw the movie because of Kristen Bell and the Slave Leia costume. It's just a fact. Let's all admit that and move on. It's kind of funny, though. I will say here, along with along the lines of this being a Star Trek podcast talking about fanboys, that when I was at the Star Wars convention, which was obviously filled with Star Wars fans, uh, one of the questions was, you know, to the cast was, "Are you guys Star Wars fans?" And Kyle Newman was like, "Oh, absolutely! I love Star Wars. Star Wars is my life. I'm one of you." Kristen Bell was like, yeah, yeah, I really like Star Wars. Sam Huntington's like, yeah, yeah, I really like Star Wars. And Jay Baruchel was like, I have to admit, I've always been much more of a Star Trek fan. I'm a Trekkie. I'm sorry. Star Wars is cool, whatever. I like it. But my heart is is, is, is with Star, Star Trek. It's so. important that we all pick sides. Yes. Well, it is important when it comes to this movie because that's like a whole big subplot of this movie, which is picking sides. You know, these guys, they work at a comic book store and they keep a little phaser in the display case in order to out Trekkies so that they can uh, know not to serve them. They discriminate against Trekkies in a big, bad way. They uh, go to Riverside, Iowa, the birthplace of Captain Kirk, just to basically troll a bunch of Trekkies led by Seth Rogen. They end up destroying a statue which has been made um, to uh, commemorate the battle between Kirk and Khan. I think and... that was a good time for me to give my I have a dream speech. <laughs> okay. I don't know what I that means. I have a dream that one day we all stop caring about these dumb things. Yes, and maybe one day we will. Uh, but in the meantime, when they go to Vegas... It turns out that the reason why they're going there and the place that they're going to is a Star Trek convention 
which is nice, seeing as how that's where the actual Star Trek conventions are. That's a cool little thing. And the reason why they're going there is because of William Shatner. But along the way, they run into all of the Trekkies who they, you know, dissed back in Iowa. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's Vegas, that, where anything is legal. Right. Including so, murder. <laughs> so that's that's sort of where that conflict comes in. But there is a lot of Star Wars versus Star Trek stuff. And, you know, while it's all in good fun, definitely Star Trek is uh, presented as sort of the um, the loser uh, uh movie franchise or television franchise science fiction franchise so yeah they're different you know, genres but what are you gonna do yeah what can you do but uh that's that's definitely the slant that that this movie takes so well what i so, choose to do is look down my nose at both parties which is fair enough like oh guys come on don't you all know that dune is better than both they they do have this great moment in there where um, the the Star Wars fan that Seth Rogen plays, who has like a bunch of Star Wars tattoos, like one arm is dedicated to the light side and one arm is dedicated to the dark side, and he's like, oh, but guys, you got to check this out, and he takes off his shirt and on his back is a huge tattoo covering his entire back of Jar Jar Binks. And little Anakin Skywalker with their arms folded, facing back to back, and he's like, "Oh yeah, man, these guys, these two guys, they're going to be the coolest." You know, it's a funny little moment. Yes, uh, it's a funny little moment presaging decades of regret. <laughs> it's funny because like th- there was that one guy. I don't know if you saw this, but the day after Thanksgiving, which is when the trailer for Episode Seven came out. There was one guy who uh, went to a tattoo parlor and got that little ball droid tattooed on his arm. And he very proudly posted it on the internet, you know, saying, like, I'm the first guy to get uh, a tattoo from Star Wars Episode Seven. And, yeah, I mean, that's the thing. Kevin Smith even pointed out on, on his podcast, he's like, they made a joke about that in Fanboys. Yeah. <laughs> You know, how do you know? It's like everyone loves that droid now. That droid looks really cool, but... Uh, you know, I'm fuzzy. You... I, I, when I first saw that droid, I thought that it was a previously existing type of droid with a ball. It looks like R2's head on a ball, essentially, is what it is. To me, the it cool... looks like a droid that has a ball. Like, I got a Maybe. ball, guys. Uh, okay. I know that you dropped your ball, and like you were like, hey, Lil, help. And I'm like, yeah, I've got it. I'll bring your ball back. This is how yeah. I move a ball. I use my jets. The, the cool thing about that that droid, that ball droid, is apparently it's a practical effect. It, yeah, I mean, you look at it and you're like, how could that be? You know, what I mean, in this era of CGI, you just assume. But apparently, whatever it is, it's just like a thing on a rod and stuff or whatever. But that's actually like a puppet. It's a practical effect. Okay. I didn't cool. put any thought behind it. Yeah, it's pretty cool. Anyway. Where were we? Ah, yes. We were talking okay. about balls. Yes. So, so fanboys, um, on the whole, for, to me, I guess I haven't even said what, what my opinion of the movie is. I, I like it a lot. You know, I was looking forward to this movie. I remember hearing about the idea behind it long before it had ever even been shot. Uh, back when they were just trying to get the script made, 
because uh, the guy who who developed it, I think it was Ernie Klein. He's really big in the fan community, I think, uh, and he had a lot of association with like Ain't It Cool News. And and Harry Knowles was sort of championing this script long before, I think even before episode one came out, honestly. And um, so I was looking forward to this, you know, a lot. And I actually got to see a uh, an early screening of it. Um, uh, and it, 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 I, I enjoyed it thoroughly. You know, I have to say, I mean, honestly, the, the fact that, you know, I was very much, you know, in the category of these guys where, you know, I was looking forward to episode one more than anything else, you know, when it, it came out, I mean, that, that sort of, it took me back to that time and place and, and, and that, that sort of like it for, in a lot of ways, it was sort of like the height of, of Star Wars fandom, uh, in that you know people were sort of bonding together over um, their love for this franchise before this new movie came out, and it wasn't really so much about uh, the new movie as it was about you know the excitement for um, for something which had been gone for you know sixteen years or whatever. It was it was it was a really fun time to be a fan. I have to say, regardless of how good or bad the movie was, uh, so it was kind of cool how they were able to capture that. And it is a, a a nice little touching story, and it is funny. And William Shatner is in it, and he plays himself. So let's talk about that. Um, when they see William Shatner finally, they meet him in sort of a uh, a back room of a casino, and. They're like, it's very oh all the president's men. Yeah, it's and, very and, all the president's men. And and it's one of those things where they're they're like, we need to go to this place. We need to give this guy a uh, a code word, and you know, then he will give us this information. And they do that, and William Shatner is the one who shows up. In fact, you could say that he beams in because they go into that room, and you hear the original series transporter sound. Right, and then there he is, and he's like, "Oh, okay, here's this info. You know, you need to break into this thing, blah blah blah. That's cool, whatever." And they're like, "How did you get this information?" And he's like, "I'm William Shatner. I can get anything." And then they start asking him things like, "Can you get this? Can you get that?" And he's like, "I can get anything." You know, yeah. and he just he just says it because that's that's William Shatner. He can get any anything you know it's true every every year he gets another five years of life (laughs) there you go you know it's just the way it works because he's william shatner yeah so i i liked his performance in this a lot because for one thing even though he's only in one scene it's very funny it's a very funny scene and it sort of plays to his persona of like the best person in the world and I'm I'm always sort of uh, a fan of, of of that sort of thing, because it's become like a running joke between us and our friends, where it's like well, William Shatner's the best, obviously, you know. Look at him; he's William Shatner. And then when you see William Shatner saying like, "Well, yes, you're right," that's funny because he's in on the joke. But the other thing that I like about it is how even though he's only in the one scene plays throughout the rest of the movie his information is what gets them into 
uh, Skywalker Ranch. And when they get busted, spoilers, one of the calls that George Lucas makes down to them, you never see George Lucas, but he is sort of like talking to them through a security guard. He said, you know, he says at one point, did William Shatner have anything to do with this? And they're like, no, no, he didn't. And, and, And Lucas is like, okay, fine, you know. And I love that. The fact that they sort of like build into it, that there's this history. And like William Shatner is like, you know what? I don't like George Lucas for whatever reason. You know, whether it's because of the Star Trek Star Wars thing or something else. But he's like, I've got information and I can take down Skywalker Ranch using these kids. And that's what I'm going to do. William Shatner is George Lucas's con. There you go. Yeah. So what did you think about uh, Shatner's performance in this in this movie? Well, when I when I was waiting for this movie for a very long time and forgot that it was a thing and then became convinced that it wasn't a real thing and then when I heard that it was a real thing, the thing that I heard that told me that it was a real thing and reminded me that it existed was somebody saying, I heard William Shatner's in it. Yeah. And I thought, well, that... Okay. That seems fine. I can see that. I can see that being in there. I mean, like, they have to up the crazy at some point. If they don't go completely crazy with this storyline, it really just seems like it's a bunch of people who are about to go to jail. Yeah. And and when William Shatner shows up, it, it actually does elevate the movie from the silly lark that it's on into something a little bit more mythic. Something that has yeah. um, farther-reaching implications and is a little bit less realistic, because I mean, like he does emerge, like deep throat from the shadows, with he secret information. In. That's he his text message in. notification sound on his phone. I don't think so. I think he beamed in there. Okay, fine. But if he beams in, that's even like another pound of crazy. Um, and it also makes it seem like, you know, who cares if George Lucas knows that William Shatner was in on it? He has a transporter. He can do what he wants. I don't know. See, to me, like, I think that that's kind of cool because it actually sort of leads into, you know, the thing about whether or not it it fits into uh, Shatner's cinematic universe continuity or whatever because there's that whole thing in Fanboys where they're like, how did you get here and... He's like I beamed in, right? Don't, doesn't he say he beamed in at one point? You just or said does he fanboys. Say, you just said fanboys. I'm sorry. In Free Enterprise. Yeah. Or does he say I parachuted? I forget. I think he said I beamed in. It no? doesn't matter. I've said yeah. before that it is a unified continuity, but it's not unified unto itself. It's not a cohesive whole. It's part of a grand okay. tapestry right. continuity. It doesn't matter if he beamed in or not. <laughs> All right. Fair enough. But um, his arrival makes the movie seem more significant, not because he's a you know a big name, but because of his bizarre connections and his the the weirdness of his arrival in this largely Star Wars centric story indicates that there is more at play than just somebody who wants to see Star Wars. And in a weird way, it kind of redeems all of that stupid Star Wars Star Trek fanboy antipathy nonsense yeah so so now what do you think about 
you know, what we were just talking about, you know, this fitting into the overall thing. I mean, how do you, how do you see it fitting in or not fitting in? Or? It fits in just as well as anything else. I've said it a bunch of times. It okay. doesn't matter if they try to make it fit or if they don't try to make it fit. It fits. It all fits. William Shatner yeah. on a talk show talking about himself as William Shatner fits. Yeah, I, Even I guess I, his weird albums fit. Yeah, I guess I like looking at it a little more literally and and in doing that uh you know i see this as taking place well maybe slightly before um free enterprise i guess uh it would have been right around the same time maybe slightly after free enterprise actually come to think about it they would have been like the same year i guess and hey you know he's in vegas for the star trek convention which is i guess also um hopefully when he was there to uh <laughs> here's the thing if one if, if 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 at the next star trek convention william shatner comes up on stage and the kurgan busts out of the wall and shatner whips out a sword and they sword fight and william shatner cuts off the kurgan's head absorbs the quickening and the prize i will say see everything fits yeah no 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 you're you're, you're right um but yeah i don't know i i think that this this really does fit well i like it the idea that it's sort of a prequel to this is in a lot of ways the episode one of the shatner cinematic universe it's you know the prequel and and i like that uh i think it's also a really nice sort of companion piece in a lot of weird ways to free enterprise in that you know while that's all about star trek fans this is about star wars fans and you know the similarities pretty much end there but i still think that it's kind of uh cool in that way i mean you could say that whereas free enterprise has well they're both about people whose missions are saved by the arrival of william shatner that's true too and and you know while one is about you know star trek fans that kind of takes on sort of the uh the feeling of star trek you know it's it's sort of made with a star trek mentality whereas this is made with more of a star wars mentality where it's more about the spectacle and it's more about um, sort of the magic of it, and, oh and that's, that's kind of cool. Very insulting. I don't know. Maybe, maybe not. This isn't as good as Free Enterprise, but I still like it quite a bit. Take that, Star Wars fans! And I did years and years ago. I, I put the question to both um, Kyle Newman, the director of Fanboys, and Robert Meyer Burnett, the director of Free Enterprise. I said, "Hey, you guys both made movies." with William Shatner as himself, do they take place in the same universe? And both of them were like, yep, for sure. Definitely, yes. Fanboys is a prequel to Free Enterprise. So there you go. It's official. From the guys who made these movies. Yep, and if they disagreed, it wouldn't matter. No, it wouldn't. All right. Well, um, any final thoughts on fanboys um i find the movie largely um in 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 absentia when i'm not you know watching it there's something about it that i find very sad and it's that it's it takes place right before the phantom menace release and it's that that point in history when it looked like maybe things were about to get really good 
I do I do like fanboys a lot. Uh, I would say, aside from Free Enterprise, it's the best of the Shatner Cinematic Universe films. Uh, I kind of would like to have seen a an unfiltered version of it, you know, where it hadn't gone through revision after revision. And, um, you know, I don't know, maybe one day we will, but I, I would kind of like to see what it is like in its purest form. But... I you know I have have you watched the Goldbergs at all? Yes. I get the impression I haven't seen it um, much at all, but I get the impression that the Goldbergs is kind of like the sitcom version of Fanboys. Like I I feel like they're very similar in terms of tone and uh, and content and stuff like that. Would that be accurate or not? I don't really know. I I haven't mm. watched like. Like what? What I have watched of the Goldbergs was like a good stretch of, um, I guess the current season when I just let Hulu keep going, and it played a bunch of Goldberg episodes in a row. Okay. And I didn't stop them, so okay. you know, there's that. It was all, all right. right. I I I don't really remember a lot of the specific like tonal elements, but. It wasn't, um, yeah, it was, it was strangely dated, uh, in some ways it kind of, I mean, the way it might, the way it deals with like cultural touchstones, certainly similar. Yeah. I, well, I mean, regardless, since, you know, the, the creator of Goldbergs was a writer on, on fanboys, I guess it would be safe to say that if you, if you like Goldbergs, you might as well check out fanboys cause why not? But I do like it quite a bit, you know, um, it it's it's not super great. It's not uh, super um, deep or anything like that. But it is kind of a touching story, and it is very amusing. And uh, if if you you know were around for all of the hype of episode one, I think you'd get a really big kick out of it. Yeah, so. it's a road movie, so it has its ups and downs. Yeah, I I yeah. I am not particularly interested in the pure version because I imagine that like a lot of road movies. Its downs were really boring. No, oh, that could be. It's yeah. just sort of how it goes. Uh, road yeah. movies are very spotty. Yep. But at the very least, you can see it for the Shatner of it all. So. Yes. Well, it's been fun talking about fanboys today, but this isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on Trek FM this past week. So here's a quick look at some other things you may have missed elsewhere on the network. Previously on Trek.fm, Standard Orbit. And celebrate his life and celebrate his work and his talent and his integrity. And, and if you get a tear in the eye, that's okay. That's, that's, he would approve. Spock would approve. And, um, you know, he'd say, you humans, why do you feel you need to do this? But, but he would approve. Earl Grey. Like, I'm expecting Ricardo Martablon to, like, walk around the corner and be like, Captain Picard, welcome. This is Rise of Five. The shuttlecraft. The shuttlecraft. The orb. Usually you want to be able to capture it or isolate one, but you, you can't do that either because it just keeps, you know, so really does seem like a conundrum of, okay, how do we take this down? You know, this minefield, they are the tribbles of war. To the journey! One guy's like, why don't we just write better stories for Wesley? And then the lead writer's like, you out now! 
the ready room. Riker's all pissed because he can't prop his leg up with no gravity. <laughs> he tries, though. He tries. He's trying. I can, I can picture it. He's but got then the momentum just, makes him somersault. Which really just makes yeah, him look he's, spread he's eagle. Going in circles. He's spinning. <laughs> Commentary, Trek stars. It's also the end of a character and a thing that is really about how uh, death is just a part of life. And that while there's an end, it doesn't mean that it's the end. Literary Treks. Well, actually, it started out life as a comic book pitch. I originally came up with it to pitch to Wildstorm back when they uh, had the comics license. The idea was it would be a one-year series that would run throughout the 12 calendar months of 2001, which was the 35th anniversary of Star Trek. The 602 Club. Sometimes that just works better because you can create and craft a, a story that's very compelling because you're not having to worry about what's happened to other places. Okay, we have to make sure this is going to connect to this, and my guess is somehow Agent Carter is going to have something to do with uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. later on, and maybe something that happens in Age of Ultron. Warp 5. In the history of Axanar, Alec Peters and Christian Gossett wrote a section of the history dealing with the Arcanus campaign. And in the Arcanus campaign, a majority of Starfleet ships were destroyed. And that's what else is happening on Trek.fm. Check out these shows and find out what we're talking about in your favorite corner of the Star Trek universe and beyond. You'll find us wherever you get your podcasts. If you're an Apple user, be sure to hit the subscribe button. That helps us out greatly and makes it easier for other listeners to find the show as they search iTunes. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find our show on Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, Windows Phone... And, of course, you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website and grab the RSS link as well. You sure can. Yeah. Uh, one way that you can help us keep all of our shows coming to you each week is to become a patron of the network on Patreon. If you visit patreon.com slash trekfm, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm, You'll find our current goals and different milestone contribution levels along with all of the great perks we have for you. These perks include early access to content, exclusive content, producer credits, seats on our content development team, and more. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you'll find all the details at patreon.com slash trek.fm. If you want to contact us, you can go to trek.fm slash contact, and there's a form there that you can fill out, and then we'll get an email. Uh, You can also send us a voicemail. Just look in the sidebar on the show page or go to speakpipe.com slash trek.fm. If you go to Twitter, uh, you can find trek.fm's account at trek.fm, Facebook facebook.com slash trek.fm where you'll also find the Babel Conference. Just type the Babel Conference, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook or go to our website at trek.fm and click the discussion tab on the menu bar. Before we go, we'd like to ask everyone to please support our sponsor who helps us bring commentary, Trek stars, and all of our shows to you each week. And our sponsor for this show is audible.com. Audible is a great way for you to read all of the books you've always wanted to read but never thought you'd have the time for. As a Trek FM listener, you can get a free audiobook of your choice along with a 30-day trial to see just how great Audible is. Just go to audibletrial.com slash trekfm and sign up today. Again, that's audibletrial.com slash trekfm. 
And we thank Audible for supporting Commentary, Trek Stars, and the network. All right. Well, that's it for Fanboys, which is the last movie in the Shatner Cinematic Universe. So far. Uh, so far, yes. Up till now. But I got my fingers crossed for the next Star Trek movie. Could be. You never know. They go back in time. Star Trek's a movie and TV show series. And they're like, wait, what? That's crazy. How is that impossible? And they're like, oh, who cares? This is better than what we would have done otherwise. There you go. You never know. Well, uh, next week we will be back to recap our series on William Shatner. And uh, until then, you can find us right here on Trek FM, uh, where I also do Standard Orbit with uh, Drew. Or you can find the two of us on CommentaryTrackStars.com, where we do Commentary Track Stars Off Topic with Brandon. Or you can email us at ComTrackStars at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter at ComTrackStars. All right, well, that's it. Next week, we'll be back with our William Shatner recap. Yeah.